Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Today, our own Chris Stroud will be our guest expert heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. And today we will be discussing some health questions to consider before marriage. So this episode may not apply to you, but it may apply to someone you know and love. You know, before I got married, except for learning about natural family planning, this was never a topic that crossed my radar, my personal life, or even as a physician looking at other patients. Is it something that comes up much in your work in family practice, Andrew? You know, I I haven't seen it specifically, but... I think that there might be wisdom to it. You know, uh, Chris had had shared that he was asked to give kind of a primer on things to think about before getting married from a health standpoint. And as I was thinking about it, man, we do that for folks who are applying for adoption. We do that for folks who are in the military who might deploy. A lot of things that are going to be big life changes, you want to make sure you have all your ducks in a row so you can be whole, you know, to do whatever job that's coming up or whatever new I experience. love that analogy. I'd never thought of it that way, Andrew, but that's brilliant. Uh, and I remember, you know, I was rejected for the Air Force when I went to medical school because I had a history of eczema. It's like, really? I am so happy that eczema did not disqualify me from marriage. Yeah. <laughs> and the irony, as a dermatologist now. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> of, the, of the five physicians who trained me in my residency program, all of them had a history of eczema, but that was in the army. Holy cow. Isn't that something? <laughs> wow. So yeah, oh. they, they have this big book of things that disqualify you in the military. So I don't know if it disqualifies for marriage, but you know, what are some things that we should think about with marriage before we talk to Chris, Andrew? You know, there's kind of to set the stage before we get into the actual exact health aspects um, just some general data on marriage. You know, obviously marriage is important, but we we have new data from the most recent census. And uh, I was happy to note that divorces have been declining since the last census, which is very good news. But unfortunately, oh my goodness. it's also because marriages have been declining. And there was a lot, uh, a lot of things that showed up that were surprising to me. So currently there's 16.3 new marriages for every thousand women. Um, and that's down from 17.6 just 10 years ago. And is that so annual? That is per uh, 1,000 women per, per year. year. Yep, over yep. the age of 15. Yep. And so with marriages falling, the number of households containing married couples has fallen dramatically. So uh, a data point, a high point was in 1949, 78.8% of households had married couples. Wow. 70 years later, 48.2%. Wow. So that's a huge, huge drop. And the, but nevertheless, the, what we're going to talk about today is still important before marriage, as we're going to learn. It's it's hugely important. And, you know, one of the things that Chris obviously is a specialist in obstetrics and gynecology with the interest in natural family planning and the NAPRO technology. So, in regard to all of that, in 2019, the US had 1.93 children per married couple. And uh, the replacement rate, as many people know, is 2.1. And globally, we're at 2.4. So we're moving in the wrong direction. And so part of the pre-marriage health check wants to make sure that, you know, hopefully, if, if, you, if you guys are going to be ready to, to have a family, everything's working as best it can before we get married. So, you know, without, without further ado, I know we want to get to the trivia question and then still have time to hear from Chris about the, the wisdom he has for this. So Tom- He never runs out of things to say about men, women, marriage, and babies. So it's <laughs> going to be good. So the topic of our trivia question is the newlywed waistline. Question. Obesity researchers at the University of North Carolina, led by Penny Gordon Larson, discovered that women in their late teens and early 20s gain an average of 15 pounds over the next five years. And in the same period, the men gain about 24 pounds. These are the ones that don't get married. So five years from age 20 to 25, women gain 15 pounds on average, men 24. What is the average weight gain for their peers who got married? You're going to have to stay on until the end of the show to find out here on Dr. Doctor. 
And we're back with Dr. Doctor and a guest that is not too foreign to our group here, our very own Chris Stroud, who we are having on to talk today about premarital health checkups. And so Chris, is, as everyone knows, is an obstetrician gynecologist with a special interest in naprotechnology who works with people on both normal fertility and infertility. He owns a birth center, delivers a gajillion babies, and is also <laughs> an expert in marriage, also because he's been married himself for so long. And he recently had two sons that just got married. And uh, congratulations, Chris, on that. Thank and so you. please tell us what we need to know if we're getting married. What do we need well, to know health You know, I'm going to back up to the trivia question and say, I I just can't wait to hear the answer because I want to tell you, ever since, uh, ever since we got married and my wife had babies, my body has not been the same. And, um, so um, I can't wait. I can't wait to hear the actual it's science a sympathetic response. Yes, yes, the actual science. So, so Chris, what you know, this was never on my radar, as I said in the introduction. Why is this a thing? Um, does anybody really do health checks before marriage or should they? And what spurred your interest in this topic? Yeah, good question. I mean, most people do not, I would say, but many people do. And certainly a lot of the kind of patients that I see do. And those tend to be women who have not been sexually active before their marriage. And they realize sort of on the, you know, when their marriage is on the horizon, that they've got some questions. Maybe they have some concerns, or maybe they don't know if they have any questions or concerns, and they want to figure that out. Um, it really came to my attention when our good friends over at Our Sunday Visitor asked me to to comment and help help them with a section on a marriage planner that they're putting together. And in the process of doing that, one of the co-authors asked me these questions. Uh, and it really was enlightening and got me to thinking about all the patients I've seen through the years uh, that had these kinds of questions and sort of the various categories and things that really do or at least should uh, come up. Well, and I can imagine there's different types of people coming to marriage. You know, everybody's got a different story. And especially in related to the OB-GYN world, a lot of it has to do with history of physical intimacy. So maybe we start with uh, a group of women, engaged women who have no history of physical intimacy. What type of gynecologic you know, questions or exam is necessary before marriage? Yeah, good question, Andrew. And, you know, like all good answers from experts, I would say it depends. Uh, uh, I think a lot of young women think they need a pap smear. Uh, the American College of OBGYN says that women should be seen for their first gynecologic exam at age 21 or sexual activity. But in reality, if they have not been sexually active and they have no problems, they really have no reason to see a gynecologist. Do they need a pap smear? No, actually, not really. Uh, a pap smear is a screen for diseases related to human papillomavirus. And if a woman has never been uh, intimate, she has no opportunity to have been exposed to human papillomavirus. So there's really no need for her to get a pap smear. Now, that's a little countercultural. It's such a part of our culture that says a woman needs a pap smear. But in reality, you know, sometimes I see cloistered nuns as patients. They don't need a pap smear. They've had no opportunity to be exposed uh, to HPV. So if a woman is healthy, she's not been uh, intimate before, and neither has her soon-to-be husband, um, there is really nothing that she needs, and if you underline needs, um, needs to see me or someone like me about. Now, that's in the most, you know, in the, in the simplest form, you might say. Uh, where I think there are issues is if she either has concerns or she's afraid that she's going to develop concerns with intimacy, perhaps, or with fertility. I think, Chris, before you go down that road, which is a great road, I have a follow up question about HPV. I'm putting on my dermatology hat right now. And of course, there's maybe 200 different types of human papillomaviruses, which can cause warts on various parts of the body. And when I was in training, we were taught that, oh, yeah, someone can transfer warts from their fingers down to their private areas by contact. But I just did some research, lit research over the last week, and I found out there really isn't much evidence for that. Is that your understanding, that you really don't transfer it from your own hands to other parts 
to the your, to your groin. Yes, that's my uh, understanding. And you know, there's our lingo that we love in medicine, and gynecology is no exception. We talk about high risk HPV, and we just right. mean it should say high probability HPV more than high risk. It's the strains of HPV that have the probability of leading to cervical abnormalities like precancer and cancer of the cervix. As you point out, there are many, many types of HPV, and some have a proclivity for causing warts, and some have proclivities for other things. In the world of gynecology, we only talk about those that are high risk or high probability for cervical cancers. So even if the ones could be spread from the, the hands, they're actually HPV types one and two, which are not the high probability types you're talking about. So exactly. why don't you go on? You had, a, you had a great topic, you know, women's concerns about intimacy. How do you even yeah. begin to tackle that? Yeah, so I, I see some patients and they know there's going to be an issue. Um, maybe she has terribly painful menses. Um, maybe she's never been able to use tampons because it was so uncomfortable and she's never really mentioned that to anybody because she's never really needed to mention that to anybody. You know, one of the things that I ask young women all the time, young women in high school and even in middle school, do you use pads or tampons? And they say pads. And I say, why? Why do you prefer them? Um, well, I just do. Well, and if you probe a little, you, you, you might learn that they tried tampons for maybe swimming when they were menstruating or gym class or something, and it was impossible because it was so painful. That's a red mm. flag that maybe that she's got some pelvic pathology going on that could interfere with intimacy. And with a little bit of time and a little bit of uh, effort, we might be able to figure out what that is and maybe solve that problem before intimacy is attempted. Because sort of the perfect intimacy storm, I would say, is you know the couple attempts to be intimate, maybe on their wedding night, maybe not, maybe before, maybe after, and it goes very badly. And that can set up sort of this mm -hmm. negative feedback loop. Uh, and before you know it, they're a year or two years into marriage, and now they're already uh, suffering from some sort of dysfunctions around communication and around intimacy. And, you know, if the devil only needs a crack to get between a couple, that's a crevasse. Uh, so wow. if he can get between a young couple on matters of intimacy, he's got a foothold. And so uh, as a gynecologist, I'd like to get a chance to solve some of those problems before they develop into something significant. Man, so that's a good that's a good point. So it sounds like it would be a good idea to at least go in for a wellness type visit and make sure we get a thorough history, kind of a, a pelvic history, so to speak, or sexual history before somebody gets married to make sure that if there are any red flags, they can be addressed ahead of time. Yeah, Andrew, I think it's a great idea. And it doesn't have to be me. It could just as easily be a family physician like you. And what I would say to listeners is that doesn't mean necessarily you have to have a pelvic exam and a pap smear. Uh, maybe that's indicated. Maybe that's not indicated. But don't shy away from the encounter just because maybe you're fearful uh, of a pelvic exam or a pap smear. Or maybe you, you've self-determined that you don't need a pap smear or a pelvic exam. Don't let that, uh, don't let that prevent you from at least talking through some of these issues. Would you say, Chris, the people who are going to maybe run into challenges after they get married, they kind of suspect it for the most part ahead of time. They could self-select that, yeah, I've got to get this checked out. Or what are the chances that one of our listeners planning to get married said, gee whiz, I don't think I have any problems. Should they be worried or, or they probably are a good judge of that? Yeah, I don't think it should be worried, but I, I think it's worth, you know, uh, considering. I think it's worth thinking through. And I, I agree with you. And I think a lot of those people already know there's going to be an issue. A lot of really bright, articulate young women have told me over the years of how good we are, particularly in the church, at telling young men and young women what not to do and what not to think. And then all of a the sudden, they become married and they're supposed to flip an emotional and an intellectual switch, and everything is supposed to be Hollywood. Um, <laughs> and, and the reality is it isn't always Hollywood. And sometimes there's real problems that are related to years and years maybe of, you know, uh, those feelings are bad feelings, don't have those feelings. That's not something we think about. That's not something we do. And we're very good, I fear, at creating a lot of psychopathology for young people, in particular young women.
Now, you've talked about physical things that you could find, but sometimes women have emotional concerns before going into marriage about intimacy. How does the wise obstetrician, gynecologist, or family physician approach that, Chris? Yeah, I think you've got to be willing uh, to ask questions and to listen um, and ask if you have concerns. And, you know, that's not a typical conversation, but a good uh, provider can say, whether it's a physician or a nurse practitioner or a PA or otherwise, can say, you know, presumably you're going to begin uh, being sexually intimate after you're married. Do you have any concerns about that? Are you worried about it? Are you worried about pain? Are you worried about embarrassment? Are you worried about any of these things? Do you really understand, you know, what takes place? I had a college woman tell me recently that she could explain the Trinity to you in multiple languages, but she, <laughs> she could not explain um, human in, uh, penetrative intercourse. And she actually had no explanation and no visualization of that. Uh, and I don't think she's alone. I think that's very, very common. And so uh, where do you get those questions? Hopefully from a great Catholic healthcare provider that can answer these questions with a Catholic and a holy sensibility. And I think one, one of our goals with this episode too is just to get this whole idea onto people's radar. Mm. Um, insofar as if you're a listener and you're like, Gee whiz, I thought I might be alone in this. Uh, <laughs> you're not alone. And if if you can find a provider, especially a, a Catholic provider who might know where you're coming from, there's a lot of help to be had. Because I, I know, you know, just in talking to patients and talking to friends, frequently they'll say, well, why don't you go see a doctor about that? Mm. But I think it is important, especially when we're dealing with married couples and, and things related to intimacy, it's worthwhile getting someone who understands where you're coming from, I would say. Wouldn't you say, Chris? Oh, amen. And you know, you remind me, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit later in the show, all too often they're going to see that provider and the provider's going to say, ah, it's no problem, but let's start you on birth control pills. Um, and now the woman is forced to think about stuff maybe she hasn't even had a chance to think about and talk about with her soon-to-be spouse, uh, and we can get into that later. But choosing that provider wisely is of critical importance. And and just just, just saying, here at Dr. Doctor, we don't recommend that, do we? <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't, because we're good Dr. Doctors. Uh, we don't recommend doing things that are bad for your soul and, and bad for your body. Um, but choosing the right provider in that circumstance really, really can be tricky. So, Chris, the natural fulfillment of what we've been talking about is is a baby, but that comes about through this complex system that God put into us uh, dealing with fertility. So what kind of fertility-related issues is it wise for a woman or, or even a man to think about before marriage? You know, so for particularly for the couple who maybe is assuming that they'll be pregnant right away, uh, that they, they've waited all this time. Now they're going to be married. Now they're going to be intimate. They really want to be pregnant right away. And you're not going to hear about those couples maybe on CNN or NBC. Um, but, you know, Andrew and I see these couples every day at our medical practices. They're real people. And they're often shocked that there's a problem and they're not pregnant right away. And I would have loved to have the opportunity in many of those cases to get involved uh, before the marriage. So with things like painful menstrual periods or very irregular periods, particularly the absence of periods, um, and more in your realm of work, severe acne that could point to maybe uh, hormonal problems and right. maybe polycystic ovarian syndrome. Right. Difficulty with weight management. And I don't mean if you eat two pizzas, you gain weight. I mean, <laughs> I mean when, you're not, when you're not eating abnormally and you're gaining weight anyway, or you can't lose weight like your friends do, um, particularly the absence of, of menses or fewer than two or three periods a year. And don't overlook a family history of problems uh, with relatives getting pregnant. Those are all good reasons to come and see uh, a Catholic OBGYN and start talking about these things before you get married and before you hope that you're pregnant right away. Is there a very easy way for people to find a list of so-called Catholic OBGYN doctors around the country? I wish it were a lot easier. Uh, I, I really wish, you know, we have all talked about wishing that there was such a great comprehensive resource. It's tough. Uh, one can contact the Catholic Medical Association. 
They can look in their area and see if there's a Catholic medical guild. Um, and if so, maybe talk to someone at the, at the guild about referring them. Um, there's a really great website, website called One More Soul, O-N-E-M-O-R-E-S-O-U-L. And in the top right corner, there's a search window and you can look for natural family planning only providers based on zip code or state or city. And that can be a great place to start. And I'll tell you one of my favorite places to direct people to is wherever they are, try to find a regional uh, Facebook group. And, you know, there we live in Fort Wayne, Indiana. There's a great site called Fort Wayne Holistic Moms. You know, that's about 6,000 moms who have an opinion on, well, most everything. Um, <laughs> and you can read about Andrew and I on that site because that's where we live. Um, but every, every community has those. And the way that you know it's a good Facebook group is if it's private. Uh, and that means someone just takes the takes the responsibility of filtering out the quacks that are trying to sell you something. Uh, but you have to ask to be let in. But, you know, a combination of those websites and regional Facebook groups is a great way to start looking for somebody that's going to help you in a way that's consistent with your values. And I might even add to that, you know, one, one place that I've directed folks to before is their parish priest. Mm. A lot a lot of times they'll have the lowdown on the, the local uh, milieu and depending depending where you're at, there's usually somebody not too far away. So I, I would encourage folks never to feel like they live too far away or they're out in the cold. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Oh well let's let's go back to some of the uh, the medical aspects of this. You know, one of the other things you would address on this topic is related to uh, women and maybe even men who have um, had physical intimacy before marriage and the importance of a previous uh, sexually transmitted infection. Right. So um, it's entirely possible that a woman could have experienced an STD, as you talk about, and not not have been aware of it. Uh, it's also possible that she is aware of it and it's in her ha- in, in her past, uh, and that she's never maybe had the courage to bring that up with her soon to be spouse. Uh, I've certainly seen young women who know they have genital herpes, as an example. Uh, and they don't know how to even begin that conversation, which is a conversation that really needs to take place. But those are just examples of, you know, they need some guidance on how to talk about these things because they need to be discussed. As a as a marriage expert, Chris, would you suggest that's better <laughs> to have that conversation before or after marriage? Yeah, Tom is laughing because he knows my wife. Um, <laughs> And he, he, he knows she may listen that you called me a marriage expert. Yeah. I don't think I don't think any right thinking person can make an argument for not talking about these things before marriage. Not that it's going to change marriage, but um, why would why would one want to start their marriage off under sort of this cloak of something less than transparent? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, by the way, honey. <laughs> right. I mean, this is a discussion. That really needs to be had. If a woman knows that she has maybe severe endometriosis and that her fertility may be impaired, that's not a conversation to have after marriage. That's a conversation to have before marriage. Um, And those are tough things to talk about. But seeing an empathetic and knowledgeable provider, they could probably or they should be able to walk a young woman through how to have those conversations. You know, in the middle of the 20th century, it was common to require blood tests before getting a marriage license. And in fact, the last state in the country finally got the last law off the book within the last 10 years about that. But thinking along those lines, you've talked about HPV. Under any circumstances, do you recommend any of your patients to get the HPV vaccine before marriage? Yeah, as you and our listeners know, we've talked about this vaccine and others uh, several times on the show, and uh, there's certainly no shortage of opinions on the topic. (laughs) Gardasil is is one of the brands that we've talked about before, Um, and it's a tough one. There's some pretty good medical arguments to be vaccinated against HPV, uh, even if a young woman hasn't been uh, sexually active, maybe her partner has at some point in life. and, and has contracted the virus. And now by her becoming vaccinated, that would protect her. If neither of the, of the two have been sexually active before, maybe there's not as, as logical a reason uh, to receive the vaccine. But I guess the only thing that I would say categorically about HPV, HPV vaccine is there's not a one size fits all answer. 
um, that it should be considered on a case-by-case basis. There are certainly people that it, it's, it really seems to be more appropriate than for others and to talk that through and to figure out what's best for you in those circumstances. The diplomat Chris Stroud at work. You'll get more of the diplomat and maybe non-diplomatic Chris here after the break on Dr. Doctor. And we're back, back, back and back with Dr. Doctor. And not only do we have Tom McGovern here, but we also have Dr. Chris Stroud. And we're talking about things to think about before getting married related to health. A lot of it related to intimacy um, with Chris Stroud being an obstetrician gynecologist. And one of the things we were talking about off air is the importance of communication. So mm-hmm. there's several conversations that should be had before marriage. And one of them that, that you wanted to highlight, Chris, was family planning. You right. know, t- tell us about that. And, you know, I think there's a reality here that um, many of our listeners may be listening to this topic on someone else's behalf. Uh, you know, maybe they have a child getting married. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm blessed to have had two get married in the last four months. And in our crazy household, we had some of these conversations. Um, but uh, but many listeners may want to sort of jot these things down and listen again and and then go and approach their maybe children or grandchildren uh, with this topic. But this idea, are, what are we going to do? Presumably, we're going to be intimate after we get married. And presumably, we're both fertile. Do we want to be pregnant right away? Uh, if we don't want to be pregnant right away, how are we going to accomplish that? Are, are we going to be a Catholic couple and not contracept? Are we going to live our faith and use a form of natural family planning, whatever the method uh, we choose, or are we not? Now, that's a big marital discussion that I would argue is much more important than who's going to balance the checkbook uh, because we're talking about the disposition of your soul, right? Yes. And so that's a conversation that really needs to take place. Now, hopefully, a young couple about to get married, at least if they're getting married in the church, they're doing some really great marriage preparation uh, with a priest or a deacon or uh, or someone in their parish who's trained in these matters. But whether they are or they are not, they need to have this discussion. What are our goals? Uh, are we going to have children right away? Are we not? And if we're not, how do we affect that? Um, that's often an awkward conversation for a young couple who may not have much in the way of experience with these kind of crucial, awkward, crunchy conversations. It's easy for us old married guys to sit around and talk about it, um, but, it but it's not easy for maybe a young couple. And so they could use some help uh, of learning how to have the, these conversations. But in addition to that, you know, if they say, nah, actually, you know, we don't want to be pregnant right away. How are we going to avoid then? And how are we going to avoid and stay true to the teachings of the church? Or is staying true, true to church teachings, is that important to us? And if it isn't important to us, what other church teachings are not important to us? I mean, these are conversations that need critically need to take place. Uh, and not just once, but over and over and over. And, you know, one of the things that you're highlighting too is, a lot of these things could be pitfalls after you get married where, you know, I don't want to say a bait and switch, but if you find out afterwards that your your spouse was thinking, oh yeah, I thought we would just contracept and we just didn't talk about it. And you're like, man, gee whiz, that was n- not even on my radar. Yeah. So it's not only is it important to talk about family planning ahead of marriage, but there's also other challenging conversations that, you know, maybe even after marriage, you know, one one of the things that comes up is how to talk about when to have intimacy. I know you you mentioned that, Chris, that frequently that's a stumbling block when one partner would like to have intimacy and the other one would not. That can be a challenging conversation. And, and you had mentioned leaving any room for the devil, he's going to find a foothold. Yeah. And that's a great foothold for him, isn't it? Because here's the reality. Um, you know, marriage and intimacy are not what's portrayed in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> no. you're, you're not going to have sex in an elevator with your spouse every day. It just, (laughs) that happens in the movies. It doesn't happen in real life. Um, And the reality is physical intimacy is nothing more than an extension of non-physical intimacy. And so uh, intimacy takes on a lot of forms. Sometimes you feel like talking. Sometimes you don't feel like talking. Uh, Sometimes you feel like physical intimacy. Sometimes you don't. How are we as a new married couple, 
How are we going to reason through that? Are we going to try to guess what each other's thinking? Because here's a newsflash. Sometimes you're going to guess wrong. Um, I feel like the guys usually guess wrong. (laughs) Exactly. The criterion is the wife. Yes. Right. Right. How many young men have said, I thought you were signaling? And the wife says, no, I was just breathing. That wasn't signaling. (laughs) Yeah. So so a couple being able to sit down and, you know, I think it's also important to point out, I, I like to tell couples that I'm talking to, these are kitchen table discussions, not bedroom discussions. These should take place outside of anything that even resembles physical intimacy so that there's no misunderstanding, there's no pressure. These are relaxed conversations at the kitchen table about how are we going to address these these issues. And the couple that chooses to do this, even though it's hard, even though it's embarrassing, even though it's funny, um, they're going to be ahead of the world when it comes to the health of your their young marriage. So, yeah. Do you have any tips, practical tips for those conversations, for that conversation when one member of the couple wants to be and one doesn't? Are there any tricks of the trade that you've learned in your specialty, Chris? You know, if I were going to write a book on this, it would have a chapter that would be called Husbands Be Not Stupid. <laughs> that would be a chapter. Give us the verbal version. Right. Yeah. Is that uh, the one that Marianne writes, Chris? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I can't tell you how, in my 30 years of being an obstetrician gynecologist, I can't tell you how many women have pointed out to me um, that their husband is never more attractive to them than when they're taking care of the children or than when yeah. they're preparing the meals uh, or when they're cleaning up from after the meals. Um, you know, marinating and cheap cologne doesn't do nearly as much uh, for your spouse's feelings about you as saying that I love you uh, in a gift of service. Uh, and that, of course, assumes that you know your spouse's love language, if you will. Um, but so many patients have told me through the years, you know, I wish, I wish my husband would wash the dishes. He sure would look attractive if he would do that. Or I wish my husband would ask me how my day was and actually listen to my answer. Um, that would be very, very attractive. So if I have a tip to your question, Tom, yes. for men, it would be not stupid, pay attention, uh, talk <laughs> less, listen more, um, and and learn your wife's love languages. I think we that just wrote a, a book right there. I think we got yeah, a book. That's so practical. I <laughs> I love that. Where were you when I got married? Anyway. Where was I when I got married? Yeah. <laughs> that's an excellent point. Um, and, you know, we're talking about, the, you know, the beauty of marital love in all of the meaning of the word love. Do you have any favorite um, places you encourage couples to learn about why the church teaches what it does? Uh, why the church really wants our fullness of joy. Church isn't saying just no to this, but it's saying yes to something better. How do they get their wrap their minds and hearts around that? Yeah, I really like the way you said that, Tom. It's not about no, it's about yes. What are we saying yes to? Uh, and I think, hands down, and this won't surprise you, Pope Paul VI, Humana Vitae. We just celebrated 50 years since Humana Vitae uh, a couple of years ago, and Sunday was yes. his 50th year. Uh, of being ordained had he lived. Um, but Humana Vitae is an encyclical written by Pope Paul VI. It, it is very easy to read. Um, yes, it is. It's not like a lot of the papal writings that are, you have to be Scott Hahn to understand them. Um, <laughs> and it, it does exactly what you said. He points out in such a, you know, a prophetic way. Um, this is why the church teaches what she teaches and here's a way that you can live it. And if you live it this way, it's it's your best opportunity to experience complete marital joy. Uh, that's a wonderful read. And I would recommend anyone listening uh, to buy a few copies of that and give them away. Uh, I'll tell you, the other, the other great place to go is uh, Professor Janet Smith's website. And she wrote a great book called Contraception, Why Not? Um, and she has written a lot of great publications mm-hmm. Since then, her latest one is called Contraception, Cracking in the Mist, third edition, third edition of Contraception, Why Not? Um, and she is a gifted writer and researcher, and her books have had a tremendous effect on me and the way I think about this topic and the way that I talk to patients and their spouses about it. Now, 
Chris, you, we've talked on this radio show before about NFP versus contraception. Um, could you give us a, a two-minute primer on that? Maybe we could point listeners also to one of the other episodes about why NFP is harmful or why NFP is protective for the body and the soul and contraception is harmful to both. Yeah, this, the secret lies in the term. To contracept means to prevent conception. Conception is the joining of a sperm and an egg. To contracept, you have to do something to frustrate that. Either hormonally, you prevent ovulation, you prevent the egg from being present artificially, maybe from a barrier standpoint, maybe condoms or something like that, maybe an IUD, which if if conception occurs, it prevents the embryo from having anywhere to go, but you're preventing conception from occurring. Natural family planning is just that. It's natural and it's family planning. It is not preventing sperm and egg from getting together. Natural family planning is teaching a couple to know when a woman is fertile, that is to say, to know when her egg is present, and to abstain from intimacy during those days, to give up something, to fast from something. Contraception says, I want what I want when I want it, and I want there to be no consequences. Natural family planning says, I'm willing to abstain from something I desperately want, but for the better of our plan, if we're choosing not to be pregnant, I'm going to abstain from that for a few days. So natural family planning is natural. Contraception is not. Natural family planning promotes couples' unions. Contraception uh, objectifies particularly the woman and says, I want to be able to have sex with you anytime I like, and I want there to be no consequences. There is no universe in which that position is pro-couple and pro-woman, not in my estimation. That's a, a beautiful summary, Chris. A, a topic that we barely touched about in the first part of the interview that might be worth going into some more is what if one member of a couple has had experience with physical intimacy and the other hasn't? Do you have any recommendations for such a couple? Yeah, you know, several times when I've encountered that scenario in my practice, they've struggled to talk about that. Uh, I'm very often seeing the woman and um, and she has not found a way to tell her husband maybe that she has been intimate before. Um, and she needs to tell him that. She needs to get that out again. We don't start a marriage under the cloak of you know, something less than transparency, but also because of the potential for, uh, for sexually transmitted infections maybe in the past, mm-hmm. um, but also because they're not starting necessarily their, their intimate career, so to speak, um, in the same place. And, you know, uh, sadly, a lot of times a woman has a history maybe of physical abuse, uh, and maybe she hasn't shared that with anyone, uh, let alone uh, her soon-to-be spouse. Uh, And that's something that really needs to come out because the baggage that goes along with that and the wounds that go along with that can cause problems for a lifetime. And they can really show themselves as difficulty expressing oneself intimately. So that problem needs to be addressed face on uh, before the marriage and before intimacy is attempted. And Chris, you earlier mentioned, you know, a couple that, you know, has their their first episode of uh, physical intimacy on their wedding night. It's very painful and you can get this, you know, negative reinforcement going on. If that happens, what should they do and when should they do it so it doesn't become a negative spiral? Yeah, depending on the specifics, um, uh, one of the easy things to do, and easy should be in quotations in that sentence, is find a pelvic floor physical therapist. Uh, You know, here in in our community, we are blessed, and in my practice, I'm particularly blessed to have a very experienced pelvic floor physical therapist. There are a lot of different certifications that one can seek out in a physical therapist that they're they're experts in pelvic floor dysfunction. Uh, And just like neck pain can lead to migraines, pelvic floor dysfunction can lead... um, to, to the impossibility of physical intimacy between man and woman. But a great pelvic floor therapist, like the ones that I get to work with, can change that in a matter of, of a few simple visits. So I would say as an easy thing, uh, find a pelvic floor therapist. That's probably easier than finding an authentically orthodox Catholic gynecologist. Um, and that's a great place to start. I don't know, Andrew, do you have additional advice for couples in that scenario? Uh, no, I, I, I think the pelvic floor physical therapist is important. I think 
having having you know a provider of some kind who can kind of guide you and the the message that I would send to folks in that that scenario is just reassurance mm-hmm. you know reassurance and communication because I think the the concern a lot of times uh, whether emotionally or physically people feel broken and maybe unfixable that that can do a lot of damage to young couples and I've I've definitely got to talk to folks who are feeling that but. I would not let anybody think, or I'd encourage folks not to think that any challenges with intimacy are insurmountable. Um, it's an important, uh, critical part of marriage and finding a provider in some capacity who knows where you're coming from to help guide you and get you to the people who can really help. You know, I'd say that that would be the first thing. Yeah, I think those are great points all. Well, we've been talking a lot about women. What about men before marriage? What, if anything, should they be doing? Yeah, good question. I mean, I'd certainly look to Andrew. He sees a lot more men than I do. When I see men in my practice, it's usually within the context of a couple struggling to become uh, pregnant. Um, But some of the common themes that I hear are um, stress-related problems that can show themselves as problems with intimacy, um, that, you know, it sounds funny we're joking about it, but it's true and not funny communication problems. Um, you know, men worried about how do you talk about some of these things that we've listed and what if my wife wants to be pregnant and I don't, how do I say that without looking silly, uh, or, or acting silly, or is she going to respect me if I tell her I've actually never been sexually intimate before and I'm worried about it. What if I'm no good at this thing that I that Hollywood tells me is supposed to be so uh, wonderful? Andrew, you see, you're a more of a man expert than I am. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I I don't know who who deals with intimacy more on their daily daily life with patients, but uh, no, I I would say with guys, they they're not immune to medical issues, especially as we've got folks getting married at later ages now compared to in the past. Mm. One of the things that I, I'd encourage just talking to somebody and kind of, you know, we, we do a lot of that stuff under the guise of just a wellness or a physical exam where you can bring questions and get them answered. You go through any medications that you may take or supplements, make sure that they're not going to affect any part of your, your health. And then, you know, largely I'd say frequently guys might carry more baggage even than the women, mm-hmm. um, maybe less mental. <laughs> I don't know, maybe more physical, especially when we're talking about folks just statistically who have had more physical intimacy before marriage. Um, Those are really important things, I think, to flesh out and to be honest with and talk about um, things like addictions. You know, one of the things we talked on this show before Mm -hmm. is uh, pornography, you know, making sure that any history or challenges with that, especially related to addictions, are kind of open and shared and addressed before getting marriage. Uh, getting oh, married. Andrew, that's so wise. I bet we have a ton of listeners who secretly struggle with that and want to find a way out. I've, I've talked it, to it, it a lot of- It torpedoes a marriage. It does. I mean, it it's very unfair to the marriage. It's unfair to the woman. Um, it sets up unrealistic expectations. And it talking about the cloak of secrecy, you know, it's it's one of those things that if, like like many things that are addictive or mental illnesses- if it's not brought out into the light, it grows and it festers. And uh, ultimately, if it's not brought out into the light, I, I challenge folks and say that it's something that really can't be overcome, but it really needs to if you're going to have a successful marriage. Um, so that's something. And really, that would extend even to like, you know, alcohol abuse and other just healthy lifestyle things. Sure, sure. There's a lot of things guys might not think twice about in college, but uh when you're going to get married and you're going to have a family, you've really got to be the spiritual father and the spiritual example. And so all of those conversations need to be had ahead of time. Yeah, I think you say that so well. And, and as I think about when I talk to couples that are that are really struggling, it's usually because of fertility, but that fertility is bringing out deeper and darker struggles. And what's really missing is honesty and transparency and actual intimacy, where they're telling each other everything, their thoughts, their concerns, their fears, their past, their their dreams for the future. That's, that's intimacy. And physical intimacy often flows from that. 
But I mean, if you think about it as a young couple, what worse way to start off your marriage than holding secrets from each other? Why not start really fresh uh, and say, you are my soulmate. I am with you for all of eternity. There's nothing that about me that I'm not going to share with you. I'll, I'll tell you, just talking to patients who, who have done it different ways, those conversations are a lot easier before you get married. <laughs> um, because I just see it play out in people's lives. And again, nothing's insurmountable. You're never too, too lost. But uh, everybody has got things that they're trying to deal with, um, whether they're big or little things. And so squaring up and being honest and open with your spouse before marriage, I'd say is almost essential to success, or it's going to make it a lot easier for sure. Well said. Well said. Chris, what final comments do you have before we uh, go into our final segment? Yeah. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I think a lot of our listeners are probably listening on someone else's behalf. So share these ideas with young couples. I think Andrew's done a great job over and over saying these are things that just have to be talked about. So start that conversation. Start it with someone with a nurse practitioner, with a gynecologist, with your family physician, with a physician assistant, with someone um, that you feel close to and you trust, and find uh, a qualified, uh, empathetic, caring provider and begin to address these things as part of your marriage preparation. Uh, Don't wait. It's never too early to start talking about these things. And we'll be right back with all three of us after the break for our final segment here on Dr. Doctor. And we're back with Dr. Doctor and our medical trivia question answer today. You know, we've heard about the freshman 15, the COVID-19, and we're, we're shedding some light on the married question mark. So, Tom, what's the answer? Well, as we discussed in the beginning, the average a woman from 20 to 25 gains 15 pounds, but if married... She gains 24 pounds, nine pounds more. The average man from 20 to 25 gains about uh, 24 pounds, but he gains 30 pounds if married. So there, there is a, a marriage, um, a benefit or penalty to your waistline, however yeah, uh, you want to look at it. Yeah, yeah that's well, kind of you know, odd. So one question I had wanted to ask that should be considered, and I wonder how much couples talk about it. See, my wife fed me an awful lot before we got married. I mean, it was my healthy food, so I knew I was in for a treat. Uh, but, you know, what if a couple has each have a very different way of eating? What do they do when they get married? <laughs> they probably don't gain nine pounds. <laughs> nine pounds more. I'm well, thinking they gain 19 got- instead of nine. Yeah. Man, it was just every day was a party when you get married before you have kids. You know, like, I don't know. We, we were eating high on the hog for a while there. Then when you're making peanut butter and jellies for everybody, you don't gain as much weight. But <laughs> With P- PB&J, is that the <laughs> new diet recommendation, Andrew? <laughs> I don't know about that. It's not one of the top three takeaways, though. My my top takeaway out of this, this lovely, wandering, but useful, I hope, discussion is uh, I would recommend going to see a healthcare provider before you get married. Ideally, somebody who sees the world from a very similar place that you do. And although everybody wants to get some kind of physical exam and get checked out, that's less important, I think, than to have somebody you trust, you can ask questions to, and maybe somebody who can sherpa you along through the challenges of, you know, before marriage, during, and uh, throughout early marriage. Uh, My top takeaway uh, is something that we didn't even have in the show script, but Andrew brought it up and I thought it was brilliant because... We were focused so much on the woman, but the number one thing a man can do if he hasn't dealt with it is if he's addicted to pornography, that will undermine your marriage. So addressing that before marriage could possibly be the number one thing you could do to ensure its stability. And if you don't know where to look, um, most dioceses have places you can contact uh, to deal with this scourge in our society. So don't hide it deal with it and, and you'll we, thank yourself forever. We had a show on that too here in Dr. Doctor. <laughs> yes, we did with Dr. Alan Leva. And, and my top takeaway, I think it, it relates to contraception. And so maybe as a couple, you've decided that you don't want to be pregnant right away. You never, ever have to choose between your faith and your fertility. Just because you don't want to be pregnant doesn't mean that you've got to contracept 
and throw the teachings of the church out the window on the first day of your marriage. Um, look up NFP, natural family planning, and some of the various methods. Study them, learn about them, choose one. Um, you can stay true to the teachings and uh, decide not to be pregnant right away. Uh, they're not mutually exclusive. This episode is just chock full of practical information. And I have to thank Chris. Chris brought it up. I'd never even thought of it. And, and now I think this can be a resource for years to come. Uh, we could change the show to three old married guys, no divorce. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and, and I'm okay with that. Although there's only two of us here that are old. We still have the young whippersnapper with us, Chris. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it as long as I can be, you know. Oh, I thought he was talking to me. I was I was very flattered. There <laughs> Listeners, thank you for putting up with, I mean, enjoying or listening to another episode of Dr. Doctor, <laughs> the award-winning official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. And we hope that you will share the good news. We hope that you think it's good news of Dr. Doctor. Share it with a friend. Invite them to check out uh, us on their favorite podcast app. And be sure to rate and review our shows when you do that. It helps other listeners find us. And you can find all of our old episodes. We've gone through a lot of different topics on drdoctor.org. Do not go to drdoctor.com. You will not find us there. It's .org. And be sure to tune in next week for your appointment with us here at Dr. Doctor. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And this is Dr. Chris Stroud. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, and we're signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host or the Catholic Medical Association. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Tune in for new episodes every Friday and find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.